Welcome to Chasing Three Hours, a podcast about what runners are chasing, why they keep pushing themselves, and what keeps them curious. I'm Josh Peterson. Today's interview is with Todd Knott, an ultra runner that's been getting in big mileage for decades. We discuss the love of running and why he enjoys the process so much. Plus, still chasing big goals as he's gotten older, the idea of slowing down, and a whole lot more. Enjoy today's interview with Todd Knott. Todd Knott, welcome to Chasing Three Hours. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you stopping by. I begin every conversation by asking my guest about their most recent run. I know you didn't get one in today, but you got one in yesterday. How did, did. that go? I did. I ran, what did I run? I ran the Swallow Hills, the traditional loop of my cross country team. Eight and a half miles? Eight and a half miles. You've been following me, huh? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Looked like a good one? Yeah. Yeah. Just a little sore from the day before because I hopped in the... Uh, Chiller challenge the day before for some strange reason. <laughs> Actually, I just wanted to uh, see the see the you know it's the annual Omar Running Club meeting and uh, the uh, Hall of Fame and and I knew Casey was getting in, so mm-hmm. I wanted to support her. And so yeah, I showed up and ran a hard eight k like four or five days after my uh, more recent race. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that. So we are about a week removed as of this recording from the Arrowhead one thirty five. How's the uh, how's the body feeling right now? Um, the legs are are I'm I'm really pretty good. Yeah. Um. The only issues I had, I had no injuries. Uh, feet were got a little swollen mm-hmm. as usual for per per uh, ultra, but in a, a couple easy days, um, I stopped at a couple relatives in Minneapolis, did some short walks, and that was it. The first run was the Chiller Challenge 8K. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but no, I'm doing all right physically. I'm, I mean, I can tell the you know the overall run down a little bit, mm-hmm. and sleeping. It takes usually two or three weeks after these that go through two night, you know, with no sleep. Yeah. Um, like the Moab and those things, they take a couple of weeks to get your body back into some kind of rhythm again. And normally I'm a great sleeper, but, yeah. but it does mess you up for a while. I always say that after a race, uh, I'm a marathoner. And so I'll go through my whole cycle. Right now I'm six, seven weeks into my training. I, I sleep so easily. But man, those first couple of weeks after the race, like, because you're not running as much, I'm like, yeah. I really miss all those miles because yeah. I'm not sleeping very well right yeah. now. Yeah. How long of a rest period do you usually like after a race like the one that you just participated in, in terms of like getting back out there and, and starting to run on a more regular basis again? I want to run right away. Yeah, I don't sure. like breaks. Yeah. I race kind of year round, but I'll just be smart with it. You know, like I swam yesterday. Today I got in the water with an aqua vest for an hour, then mm-hmm. did yoga, rode a bike for a little while today, sauna, just because I, I still like to stay active. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, and, and I had a couple travel days, you know, and, and that kind of thing where, so I did have some of those built in, you know, not sitting on your um, rear driving home isn't always the best, but, <laughs> but I did break it up. I had like a two hour drive after the race to my cousins in Bemidji, then three and a half to my cousins in uh, Plymouth. And then that, what was it? Saturday, I drove home. What is it? Six, six and a half hours to yeah. Smith from there. So Ooh, a lot of stretching so, after that broke. Yes. Yes, <laughs> for, sure, for sure. So I, uh, I went to your ultra sign up page and, and it's, first of all, the thing I noticed was it's a long scroll to the bottom. Um, and so you get all the way down there and the first race that it has listed for you is July 1st, 1998. And then below that, if you're on someone's page, it will have the list of DNFs. There's only one that shows for you. And that was Arrowhead, uh, yeah. the 135 last year. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if this one that you were, that you just finished, was there a revenge, maybe a too yeah. harsh of a word? I call, told a couple of people I know it's yeah. my redemption. Part of me didn't want to go back because mm-hmm. it was negative 27 at the start last year with a negative 40 wind chill. I'd never experienced anything like it. But I didn't quit because of the cold or the uh, um, 
the elements. I was dealing with it okay. Mm-hmm. I had a hamstring issue that was really bad. I We don't know how, I'm not sure what happened. I think early on, you have the option of pulling your sled because we pull all of our supplies um, across a few road crossings early in the race, especially there's three or four within the first five or six miles. And some guy, you know, you're trying to soap up all this knowledge from those guys up there at the meetings and said, carry your sled across, you know, don't scratch up your... And and, I, and so I did, and I think that's when I actually bending over, and your sled's probably 35, 40 pounds, and I may have tweaked the hamstring there early. I felt it by the first checkpoint last year, and then I thought I was going to be fine, you know, and I'm not going to let it stop me. And then in that second segment last year, it just gradually got worse, and then I couldn't even hardly walk, and it got to a point where there was a place where they had some volunteers at, like, mile 54 at a road crossing, and it was humbling, you know, yeah. it was like— Man, all this prep, all these purchases for this that you had to have for mandatory gear. So that's why I felt like I, I needed to go back. And and this was just about finishing this year. And I, and I ended up being fairly competitive. Uh-huh. You know, I'm ha- thrilled, happy with my time, my place, all that. But it was more about whatever it takes to get through. And and uh, and so I'm, I'm happy. But, yeah, that was my only technical. I had a couple where I had to drop. I, I think I got credit. But out of I know out of my 160 ultras, there was only two others where I had to something with an injury. But they were both with an injury. Yeah, I, just, I, I think I was reading something out of a book today, a Boston Marathon book. Like when you don't DNF, the guy was thinking of it as being in in solitary prison. Like you, it stays in your mind. Mm-hmm. And I and even though I've done a lot of cool stuff since last year's, and I kind of forgot about it. But yet I knew I wanted to get it done, and people thought I was crazy going back and. Now they said, come back again when it's back below zero, you know, the people up there, because those are some tough people up there. And most of the the people that do it are from Minnesota, Michigan, Canada. There's a handful if you look at the results from other states, but not too many. So given, you know, again, you go back to the mid 90s to find your career doing this, given that you just said 160 only time. I mean, what what did that do for you mentally? What we always talk about the post race blues. That had to be quite the unique feeling that you went through a year ago. Yeah, you know, I still I made the same two stops at the two cousins last year. I was just a day or two earlier because I had <laughs> yeah. dropped fifty four miles. So I don't remember how many hours that was, but you know, basically probably a third of the time. Um, and explain it to them who are not really they're fit people, but they're not really you know endurance. They're aware of what I do and they follow some, but trying to just explain that I was really hurt. Like, and, and then I'm th- questioning, do they believe that I was really hurt? Cause then I was actually moving after, you know, um, when I got back about a week, I was running again, uh-huh. but I remember sitting in that truck, the guy that was going to take me to the, to the finish when I dropped and it tightened up so bad and I needed help moving. So, and I'm sure the extreme cold had something to do with it. I tweaked For something. Sure. Um, I and you can't go in and warm up anywhere. I could have got out my, you know, you're allowed to bivy in your own, you know, part of your supplies are the the negative 20 rated sleeping bag. So I, I suppose I could have probably tried to lay in that warm up sea, but I was in a warm pickup for probably 30 minutes and nothing, it got, it got no better. Yeah. So I realized I made the right decision, but yeah, yeah it was like, you know, you just don't, I don't, I don't go to a race not to finish. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some that you bonk a little bit and maybe walk the last whatever mileage depending upon the distance. But yeah, it was tough to not finish. So that's why this was the redemption tour. That's uh, awesome. Yes, uh, yes. I, I want to go all the way back. So I, I just, I saw a quote that you gave ultra aspire in August that you were a below average college distant ru- distance runner in the mid 1980s. Um, how have you most changed your approach 
running to running then versus now. I mean, obviously the distances have gotten completely different. But how do you think you are most a different runner today versus then? Well, in college, and and see, I was a high school football player. I did run the mile two mile my junior senior year. A great coach that got me into that, and great friend that got me into to uh, distance running, Bryce Lamley, and then his dad was my coach, Fred Lamley. Incredible, incredible coach, and inspired me to become a coach too. But yeah, yeah. Um, so, but I almost went out for cross my senior year, and then I think it was a good looking girl that said, "Yeah, but you." You're the quarterback, you know, <laughs> what are they going to do? And then we were terrible in my senior year anyway, but my sophomore and junior year, we were very successful in football and I loved playing. But anyway, then I still, I had the distance bug. Um, I even ran a marathon before my senior year of high school. Oh my gosh. Then I went and played football. But uh, um, then in college, you know, I wasn't used to that higher mileage. I think I had a lot of injuries, just kind of broke down, handful of decent races, but nothing, no, no stellar career or anything. And then I... After college, I moved to California and just in December of 80 or January of 86, I had a, got a job at a semester. I graduated semester and um, I didn't know a soul, just drove out there with got my teaching job um, or was hired um, via recruiting. And uh, the way I got to know Southern Cal was every I just there's a magazine with races and I just pick them out, get out the old map because we didn't have, you know, my map, how I got here today on my phone. And I would follow a map, get to these races. And, and I just was racing almost every weekend and 5K, 10Ks, half everything, got into triathlons and then um, moved back here after four and a half years. And, and I'd done a f- some marathons, um, but I think I did I did the ultra thing kind of the old fashioned way. Now you got a lot more young people just saying, hey, let's go do this. Yeah. But I was kind of the, okay. I'm not going to get faster at the marathon. I think I was in my mid thirties, mid nineties is when I did that first 50 K. And so I just, you know, did a 50 K over in Fairfield, Iowa and started running them kind of like marathons. Um, I didn't know you should, could walk up hills. I was racing them like, you know, you do a marathon and, and maybe that, you know, that naivety was kind of helpful as far as fast times when I was younger. Sure. Um, but, but yeah. And then, then it's just been, you know, a lot of the training was whatever I was doing with my cross and track kids. I would run a lot of workouts. I luckily had some great boys, got to <laughs> run with some state champions. But then as that progressed, you know, I quit doing the speed work with them. But I've always done the distance with them until two years ago when I retired. And then I just do longer stuff on the weekends or sometimes get extra in the morning. You know, I was raising kids pretty much uh, later in my life by myself. And so morning runs, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and uh then it just all come together. You do a race and then you do another race and just another challenge. And yeah, they just kind of built on. And I think it's just listening to my body. Yeah. You know, you're asking about what I did. I did, I think I was cross training before cross training was cool mm-hmm. or be, you know, before it became popular, I realized I was always riding my bike places. And I loved when I was a lifeguard swimming laps in between breaks. And, and uh, even now, you know, I just, I enjoy going to the gym and strength training and I've just always done stuff. So that might be part of the longevity and staying healthy. For sure. And not that I haven't had injuries. We've all, you know, but I'm definitely less and less. And I catch them and do things before they get real bad. You know, I had a, a little bit of a hamstring issue headed into um, this, the, the the Arrowhead 135. It wasn't a running injury. It was actually a couple months ago, we went on a cruise and we were in Miami afterwards. And I was hopping in the ocean and I actually felt my hamstring. Uh oh, something. Oh, it was nothing to do with rain. So then lately, I my my chiropractor Craig Acreage is awesome, and uh, I go to Fireball Mas- uh, Health and Wellness and Christina's massages. Those two worked me these last couple months, and because I was like, I was I knew I was going to go up there, but I didn't want to have a big issue, and it didn't bother me. 
you know, I still felt it kind of going in, but I, I know that was not an issue at all during the race. Yeah. So I was so thankful for those two people that really helped me prep and get ready. Going back to when you're getting into this sport after high school, you know, now if I want to read about a marathoner or an ultra runner or find a podcast, it's very, very easy. You know, the, the ability to bring together like-minded people has never been easier uh, than it is today. What is it like if, as you're falling in love with something that it's obviously a lot different back then? Um, I have to imagine it's much more of a, a niche thing and a lot of people are probably giving you strange looks. What was that like for you? Yeah, I think originally I found out some word of mouth about that race in Fairfield, a guy from Omaha and I can't remember his name. He was probably on the verge of getting out of ultras, but he moved out of state and he told me about it. And then, you know, you, I, I guess magazines, there was the ultra marathon magazine and that's where you found out about you not online, but you subscribe to that magazine and then they would have a calendar with the events. I mean, that's how you found out about the races to be, to begin with. You couldn't scour like you do now. And, and there weren't, obviously there weren't as many races either. Um, so yeah, that's what, the old magazines, a little bit of word of mouth. And so, and then I would get, I'm, I don't think they had much in runner's world though. I, though I do remember runner's world. I don't remember reading about this race, but I remember reading about Badwater 135 going, mm -hmm. who would ever do that? You, know, <laughs> so, you a few, a few decades yeah, later. It. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That's how it's turned out. Uh, so as, as you're just like getting into this, one of the questions I love asking guests is, especially ones that are successful like you, are you, are you running this much because you're enjoying it or are you running this much because you're good at it? I wonder what your answer would have been back then and, and maybe how has that evolved over the years? I thought about that because that was a question on whoever, whose podcast. Um, there was a different running podcast um, that they asked the gentleman, the older gentleman, the same thing. And I realized I had the exact same answer and that I know back I liked competing. Yeah. I liked winning. Um, that was fun, you know, because I look back and I'm like, and some of the races weren't super high profile, but there were some good people there. Mm -hmm. And 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 I got some course records early on and stuff and all that. And so I know I I love that aspect of it. But as it's gone on and on, I realized just how much I enjoy being at the races. I enjoy the whole process. I enjoy yeah. the training cycles that I do, using races to train for other races, cross training, just everything that goes with it. And then the people at all these events, you start meeting I don't know, the greatest people at, at these trail races, you know, the the vibe is just so good and so positive. And, you know, and even around here, just certain people that all, hey, I'll, I'll crew you at this or I'll, I'll be there. Or, you know, they went out to Hitchcock and, you know, just to cheer for you. I'm like, wow, that's nice because they were busy, but um, they're distance runners and they, they just support you. And, and so, yeah, it's 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 an awesome, awesome group of people. What is it about because you've done road races, you've done marathons. Oh, yeah, um, I did them for many years. So what's the difference? Because I've heard that before the trail scene and the and the, those who run trails. It seems like there is a, a different, I don't know, way about them in, in a positive sense. I wonder what like if you could figure that out. What is that? And, and not that there's not great road camaraderie. Racers and yeah, and sure. there's an overlap. You know, there's a lot of us that do both. But, um, you know, and. And I think triathletes get that same rap of being, and and uh, actually, um, just a few friends that do that, they're aware of it because they're so numbers driven. I think mm -hmm. not that we don't care about overall times in ultras and trails, but you realize how many more variables there are. Um, one year, you know, the weather can, the Lincoln Marathon can vary because of the temperature. <laughs> oh yeah, there's no doubt. Yeah, rains, but if a trail gets rain or snow or mud, 
and we're talking up and down hills, the the times can be an hour different, not ten minutes for the top guy. For sure, you know, and and I and so I think that's part of it is, and then, and then I think also, however you look at it, I'm a competitive person, so it doesn't resonate with me. But I also know that a lot of people can get into ultras, and they can not be serious about it, but they can still have a wonderful time out there. They're walking, they're jogging just so they finish. They're just covering the distance. Everybody has their own mindset of why they're doing it. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. You know, um, it can happen too on the road races, but you know, there's more uh, people watching, I think too, yeah. that are more judgmental maybe, you know, like look at that guy, he's way in the back. You know, I don't know. That that could be part of it. That's a that's a. I think that's a really good point yeah. for why some of that stuff is different. When when you mention your competitiveness, have you found yourself to be more competitive against other competitors or or more competitive against yourself over the years? I think lately you get to a point where you kind of said, okay, if I do this or that, I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. You know, um, at the eight k at Chiller Challenge, I go, wow, if I could run sub sevens after the one thirty five um, five days ago, I'll be happy. And I had no idea where that would place, you know, and you know, and and uh, so I was, that's all I did. And I was happy, you know, you end up placing in your age division or whatever. That's fine. So both, you know, I realized that I set some goals, but there's no doubt that when I'm out there, if I see somebody, um, you want to run them down, you, you want to get them this, this last at Arrowhead here, I was in solitude after the second checkpoint, which was at mile 70, I did not see another body until the next checkpoint at 110 miles. Well, and that body was the crew, the, the, the people at the station. Mm-hmm. I went 40 miles of, of solitude. Didn't I was like, I kind of wanted somebody to catch me yeah. <laughs> so I could be, you know, you kind of wanted to team up, but yeah. that was not the case. And then, um, so then we had 25 to go and I caught somebody with approximately 10 to go and I, I was power walking with him. And then I think I stopped to get something out of my sled. I think I, I needed some, I can't remember if it was a drink or I wanted some nutrition and uh, when you stop, it was it wasn't it was getting cold that second night. Your body's getting weary. Yeah. And I I got you know you take your gloves off real quick. You get what you need, and then so I was there you know a minute, and then you're cold, and you're wearing minimal clothes. That up there you're trying to go where is less. You don't want to sweat because then you get chilled and yeah yeah. So that was the issue. So long story short, you're power walking because a lot of it because you can um, power walk as fast as you can jog pulling that sled this year because. It was mushy snow. It wasn't nice uh, groomed snowmobile trails. It was much challenge, more challenging. The weather wasn't as cold, but the uh, but the conditions were slower, way slower. Um, but anyway, so then I caught up with that guy, and I and I was warm. I, I had to warm up, so I'm jogging, and I go, I'm going to keep jogging. I'm not warm yet, and he didn't want to come with me. And I was kind of like, okay, I guess I'll pull away from him. I finally passed somebody, and then you know, like about five miles from the finish, I caught another gentleman. You know, and, and he was moving pretty slow. I, I felt like, you know, but then once you pass him, you're like, are they going to come back on me? You know, but, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it felt good to catch some people. Yeah. Like I was glad, you know, you wish you check, make sure they're okay in that kind of a race, you know, make sure whenever you cut. But yeah, I was completely solitude for, you know, tw- whatever that second half took me 20 hours. Wow. For the most part, except for those two gentlemen. I'm so curious because, you know, it obviously says a lot about someone's personality that they're willing to do these things like this. What What is it, do you think, about your personality that you you just love these miles, that you love this this many miles, you know, inside of a race or in the preparation and the lead up to it? And it is weird how some of us can 
be happy inside our heads. I didn't use any music or any podcasts or anything that whole 45 hours. I didn't want to worry about it. Like yeah. it's just one more thing to worry about with the cold and gloves and ears that falling out and chain. Yeah. And, and phones dying, you know, you got to keep your phone just in case you needed the map. So yeah, um, you can't listen to something cause it's going right. you know, to, I would have had to have other sources and I would have to bring too many batteries. And I know some people do, um, but I just didn't want to worry about it. But, um, I, I can just get really deep into thinking about different topics and different, and, and I, and I can gel, um, you know, just get totally zoned out too, which is a good trait to do in those <laughs> things. And, and I can stay focused at the, it's important for what, what do I have to be doing? You know, um, at this mile, I took a snack next mile. Well, next time you, you hit a mile, you're drinking next mile snack. You know, you, you gotta, you know, stay aware of what you need to do. Am I, am I, do I need to unzip? Cause I'm starting to perspire a little bit, you know, those kind of things. It was constant. Be aware of yeah, a lot of focus on, yeah, stuff. there had to be. And then <laughs> serious focus on the, um, I don't know if, I don't know. I guess we haven't shared yet. So the second part of the course got really hilly uh-huh. and you're allowed to hop on your sled as you're pulling it and you sled down these things. Oh. So I went sliding like 20, 25 times. Now, a few of those runs were perfect. Get done, but not the first few. Cause I had to figure out how am I going to do this? Do I kneel? Do I, cause I didn't practice sledding. The first one was kind of chaotic. You know, kind of dragging my feet and my poles are out by my side. And then, then I got a, a, a technique where my feet were kind of in front. So I could push off if I needed to. And my poles were to my sides and then I'd have some good runs and I had a few that I just, I'd wipe out. Yeah. Like, then I'm like, you know, that whole 40 miles going, oh, great. Oh, I could, you know, get injured and no one's around. Yeah. And um, I didn't share this. My tracker evidently fell off. Well, I saw it shortly after that second checkpoint. So that whole 40 miles I was out there, I didn't have a tracker. So, of course, the people back here that are following me thought, there goes Todd again, just like Moab. He's off course because my tracker went up and around on a highway, supposedly, because whoever found it turned it into a a, a, a person of, you know, work or whatever. Yeah. And they they drove it up to the 110-mile checkpoint. Oh, my god! Because we only had the three checkpoints. And so um, I was without a tracker, so I'm like, stay on course. And there's a few areas where, man, there's intersected with, like, logging roads and stuff, and you had to really – I didn't get out my phone. I was able to bear down and see the the fat bike tracks and the sled tracks in front of me. But I made sure before I went too far, like I kept, okay, I see it. Because I didn't want to get the phone out and I didn't want to bring up the map because was I going to get it, connection, yep, yep. all that. So, yeah, there's adventure. <laughs> yeah, it certainly was. I, I want to, Speaking of adventures, I wanted to, to ask you about some of the more recent years for you because – uh, you had a knee surgery in 2017, if I remember right. 17, 18, and, there. and since then, I mean, you mentioned earlier bad water. You've had a chance to run that three times, yeah, right? I got selected to go back. You did, you did Western yeah. States in there as well. And so I wanted to, to look at, at that because you have that, that surgery. I don't know if that's your first, but it just was. in terms of it's okay. So it's your first. So you, you, you deal with that. The buildup to to that decision, having to have that surgery, and then what has come next, I think is, I mean, it's really, really cool because it, it seems like you've been able to, to knock off some bucket list items in recent years. Yeah, I had a meniscus tear. It bothered and bothered and pain. And what I did everything for months, you know, you time off, this, that. <laughs> I, I finally had a doctor I felt comfortable with that did a minor snip, snip, and, and then the rehab and all that. And he didn't guarantee, but... I don't think I even want to that I'd run again. And I was kind of at peace with that. I go, okay, maybe I'll be a biker now. Maybe I'll start doing that Appalachian trail. You know, there's other things that I kind of want to do and will yeah. do. Um, but, and, and actually that's how I, after the rehab, then that following 
summer, um, I decided to hike the Colorado trail, which is 500 miles. Um, I wasn't running yet. I, I maybe started jogging a little, but I was like, I wasn't going to try to race. I felt, you know, you take that much time off. That was a lot, probably the most for me in years. Yeah. Like you didn't feel like you're in shape anymore. So anyway, I was hiking the Appalachian tra- or the uh, Colorado trail and, uh, from, and that goes from Denver to Durango. And I was, had a good first 10 days. I was doing like 25 miles a day. And then, um, started hearing some reports of some hikers going the other way. They had to get carpooled around. There was fires going on. Yeah. And so I could have gone like one more day, but I was at Salida where highway 50 intersects there in Colorado. And my son lives an hour away in Canyon city. Mm-hmm. So I thought, why go two more hours and then hike back or two more days or whatever. I could get in another 40 miles. So I was kind of done and uh, that's all I could do. So I hitchhiked to my sons and then um, I think my car was at my daughter's in Colorado Springs and uh, got up there somehow a few days later. And then I was at her house and there was a half marathon or something like that in the, in the foothills there in the Springs. And I thought, I'm going to go do this. <laughs> and I ran it. I ran it pain free. I ran pretty well. Yeah. And said, I guess I'm going to be a runner again. <laughs> So, A, I think I, that gives a lot of credit to the hiking with a pack and getting pretty fit. And I was pretty light. I think I lost weight doing that. Yeah. And so I had a good race. And then, um, yeah, then I just got back into it. I decided I'm going to enter Western. Um, I think I went down to Havelina to get a qualifier, and I ran a decent 19 hours, if I remember, something like that. I was really happy because I didn't have a big buildup. And then I got on the waiting list for – that was 19. I got on the waiting list for, for – um, Western States. And I didn't know what that meant when they had the drawing. I was like, Oh, I don't think I knew it right away. I knew, I saw that I wasn't drawn. Uh-huh. So then I went to another page and entered, um, the Angeles crest, which is like a month later in Southern Cal. And, uh, then I started getting texts from friends like, congratulations. I'm like, what? Well, you're, I forgot what it was like 36 on the wait list. What does that mean? Oh, well, you'll probably get in. I'm like, what? So long story short, I gradually kept moving in. I remember going to track practice. Coach, what, where are you at? I'm at 24th. <laughs> kept moving up. And then I think like a week, I didn't know for sure till like a week or two out. Oh my gosh. That, okay, I'm going. So I remember going out and I planned on just, because there was, I couldn't find rooms. And I'm a car camper anyway. I think I was sleeping in my Jeep. And then Jody Seminole from yep. Omaha was in and she had rented a house, had a whole crew. They let me sleep in one of the rooms there. So I hung out with those guys that year. But it was always, a, it was then, a, then I went ahead and did Angeles Crest. Too. Uh-huh. So two A races that helped my resume to get into Badwater because they look for A races. And I could say, hey, I did two of these A races within a month. I think I was 24 and then I finished top 20, 25, whatever it was at Angeles Crest. So that got me into our, our big thing that got me into uh, Badwater. And that was the time. first time you did Western States, right? Yes. What and was it, that like? I had a good first half, and then I remember things going. That's what I'm, I'm anxious to talk to Casey more about the course and maybe go out there for the camp. I remember having light issues and physical issues the last. I just looked at my notes not too long ago because I was trying to plan goal time and what I want to do, and, and I wrote that I walked the last 22 miles. So, And I still ran 23-something. So mm-hmm. um, I'm like, okay, now I know what I'm going to do. and For sure. Try to approach that 20-hour barrier, I hope, and what was it like? So you mentioned a couple minutes ago, you had made peace that, you know, if I don't run anymore, I, you know, I'll get into something else. So what was it like when that came back to you? Every day is a blessing. Yeah. Every day, every time I do a race, uh, when I go for a run and don't even feel that great, it's like, hey, you got to run. Yeah. It was pretty slow to, um, so yeah, I, I mean, even I was smiling 
um, Sunday at the Chiller Challenge going, God, you get to come back and run fast? It felt like a runner because up there at, at Arrowhead, you know, you're trudging along, pulling that sled. I don't know if you really feel like a runner. You feel like, you know, a, a mush dog, <laughs> you know. So I, I do, I, I try not to ever forget how fortunate I am, you know, to keep going because there's a lot of people my age that they're not doing much. Yeah, you know? for sure. And then, um, and I have a, a special place in my heart. That first Badwater, when that was going, when I, right when I got done, my sister was in her final hours of uh, cancer. Mm. And I talked to her at the hospital on my trip back to uh, to my vehicle near Vegas, the, another crew member. So that's always like, you know, she's younger, was younger than me, you know? So you just, you never know. So every day there's, there's not a whole lot to complain about, you know, for most of us, you know, the pain we put ourselves in is, is self-driven. There's so many people less fortunate than us in Nebraska, throughout the world, everywhere. So yeah, yeah I just, I just always just want to be so thankful that I can still do it. What has your family meant to you throughout the last, you know, th- these d- decades as you've gotten further and further into this stuff? Um, my kids are ice fun. The way they post stuff about their dad on Facebook. I appreciate that. <laughs> and, you know, they've been to some, they're, they're all out of state. Well, my tour, one of them moved back now, but, um, you know, and they've gone to some races when I, I've raced quite a bit in Colorado cause they were living there quite a bit. Um, the daughter, a daughter was in South Carolina. So I'd go down there last Thanksgiving and do a Turkey trot with her. You know, that's been neat. Um, so yeah, they're, they're pretty good about it. Um, parents are still kind of old school. My mom always says, you shouldn't do that. It's going to hurt your knees. Going to hurt my knees. And I'm (laughs) like, yeah, but look at all these other people my age. And then my dad is old school in that he thinks there should be a reward rather than the race itself. Well, what'd you win? So sometimes I just make something up. Dad, I got a hundred (laughs) dollars or whatever. Well, that would cover your gas, right? You know, he's always worried about, he doesn't understand. One of my coworkers is the exact same way. I don't understand it. Why would, can you, are you going to win? No. Well, then why do you do it? Exactly. It's it's hard to explain because, because I absolutely, I mean, I guess that's what I'm kind of trying to do on the pod is try to explain what, what I love about it. Um, you get into bad water and and you were supposed to run initially in the 2020 version, yes. but obviously COVID happens. I I was not really into the trail scene or reading or paying attention to anything in that regard because my running journey was kind of beginning in 2020. So was there a thought that that might still go on, just given the nature of that race versus like a traditional marathon? They actually did not cancel it. Until I think we let less than two weeks. Oh out. man! And so some people like a month out, they started telling the foreign athletes, "We don't know if you want to cancel." we'll let you in next year, you okay. know, cause it's a selection process and they, they select several foreign athletes and, and people like travel from out. Um, so what I did when they said there's a chance we couldn't, wouldn't have it. I talked to a gentleman um, in Colorado. I'm trying to think of the hundred miler that was going on that they were not canceling it. Um, and so I got a hold of him and it wasn't a huge race, but I said, if this gets canceled, can I get in? And he, oh yeah. So he let me in and that, that I had a good hundred there. I yeah. mean, it was different cause I had started training on concrete a little more to get ready for bad water. It's not that I didn't run trails, but I spent more time there than I would have liked on yeah. concrete. I tried to do a long Saturday run on concrete and then come back and do a long trail run on Sunday. So it was a little more forgiving. That was a lot of what I was doing as far as my, my big part of my training week, but I did that hundred and then I continued, uh, to drive out to, I went ahead and drove out to uh, Death Valley. I had a friend in Vegas, stayed with her, and then I, um, I uh, drove out to the course. So I drove it, and so I knew what to experience. And I watched my thermometer on my Jeep go up, 119, <laughs> 120, because I got there like at 10 in the morning, 
125. I think it, it was 130 when I drove out of there. So I drove the course. Um, I remember driving up to Mount Whitney, the base of Mount Whitney, where it, where it uh, finished. And I was going to try to do some running hiking, but it was lots of people up at Mount Whitney base and no parking. It was kind of like, oh, so I got out of there and just drove back. But just that gave me a good feel for the next year. I wasn't quite, you know, you can watch a lot on video, uh-huh. but I wasn't quite as intimidated. I had a feel for what to expect. And then that next year, you know, we got to run it. Um, and that went good. I can't remember my place. I, I remember 12th, 14th, maybe um, that first year. Um, I remember I started, they start you in waves at 14th night. waves at night. And I was in the second wave, you know, I hadn't proven myself or anything. So when I finished my crew at that time thought I was like in the top 10 or so, but then what happened is some people from that last wave finished within the 60 or 90 minutes that they had started after me. Yeah. So I'd, I'd lost some few spots. So then the next year when I reapplied in my resume, I said, I want to come back and I want to be in the last wave. I want to run with the big boys. And, and so that's what I've been able to do the last two years. Yeah. And how's that gone for you? Gotten better each year. Yeah. Um, cut. I think that first year was 33 something hours and then, um, 30 last year I was low 29 hours. Um, and I, I got something else left cause I had to walk more than I wanted to quad the, the two after we, we do two times midway through the race a mid and, the descents are just so tough on you. You know, you're trying to run, but you're trying not. Anyway, I had some quad issues. And uh-huh. I, it's almost like what we talked about at Western States. I ended up walking some of the flatter parts towards the end that I, I shouldn't have been walking. And you know, I should have been able to run. You have to pretty much power walk that last 13 up to Mount Whitney because that's just all vertical. It goes from whatever, 5,000 to 8,000 in 13 miles. Probably the hardest half marathon in the United <laughs> States. Um, but there's areas where I want to be running that this year. And, mm-hmm. and so... We'll try to improve again. All three years, I've gotten it down a little bit more. And so goal is to to keep improving, you know, um, wisdom with age. No, <laughs> no but I, I'm also aware with that temps. There's in that distance, yep. there's always so much. In so America, many variables. Just like a, there's so much that can go wrong. Yeah. You know, the wrong food, you know. So, again, feeling very blessed that I was able to get through three and and we'll do everything right to, to make this one even better. Yeah, there, you had a, a quote kind of along those lines. After that race, the first one in 2021, you said, as a runner, we're never satisfied with our times in any race because you always want to go faster, but I certainly cannot be disappointed with 14th place. I've looked forward to this for a long time, so I was thrilled when I was able to finish it. And I thought that that was a great quote because I've heard that by many said by many runners, and I know I've said it before too. It's like you f- you finish a race, you feel good, and you're like, ah, maybe I left a few few minutes out yep. there though. You I think could, of oh, could have I could have done faster, that aid station though. quicker or if I would have. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Just so I love I love that quote because I think that it hits on the appreciation that one should have. I mean, that is that is an accomplishment. You know, I, I had a guest John Keeler on in the uh, within the first handful of episodes, and he ran bad, bad water, and he finished sixth overall and he left it and he told me he was like I was disappointed in the moment I was disappointed and now I mean he's not able to run and it's like you know I should have appreciated that more in the moment and so I I feel like hearing his story and then I think hearing your view of it too I think it's a it's always a good reminder like yeah maybe you could have taken a little bit of time off but it's just a goal to to maybe apply to the next race you're gonna run right on yeah right on that's awesome how have you changed your approach just in general when you look back at when you first started doing this this you know ultra running versus today given again how much has changed in the sport 
over the over the decades and how much more maybe knowledge we have, how many more training plans there are, a coach. I, I wonder what that looks like compared to, you know, your younger days versus today. Um, I think back then, I, when I first started, I know even my and my coaching was the same. You're more worried about um, speed days, your uh, times and same with rate times instead of training with heart rate. And I do more with heart rate. Now. Yeah. Um, training is I know. It's, it's, it's so hard to go so slow to be in my zone, but it's so cool when you can train so slow on your long runs and know you're training that zone. And then you can just knock it down. Like for me in a marathon, three or four minutes from what I train with Mm -hmm. at that pace. Yeah. And then just blast it once a week, maybe twice with a fart lick or something like that, where your heart rate's up to get and and get the leg turnover. So the, the legs aren't foreign to going fast. And uh, that's my approach for my running, and it was my approach for my cross country kids. You couldn't get you couldn't get upset with kids that you thought they were dogging or whatever because they could say, "Coach, I'm in my zone." It's, <laughs> it was so beautiful. It's such a great thing. It gave them great power. comeback. Yeah, and and that's what I wanted to hear. I go, "You're perfect." Then you're right on. You're listening because mm-hmm. even kids are competitive. They want to go out of their zone to be with their friends, or because they think they're going too slow. But yep. you're okay. You know, just assuring them that stay in your zone, and the results will come. Yeah. You just have to be super patient with heart rate training. And for me, luckily I'm retired and I have the time now, but just runs take longer. You uh-huh. go for a 10 mile run, it's, <laughs> it's a lot longer than a 10 mile run used to be. Now that's for everybody as they slow down anyway. But if you're making sure you're trying to stay in a particular zone and, and you're not recovered from the previous day, you're going even slower. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Yeah. I remember when I, so I, I mentioned my running journey. I always say it began in 2020. I'd run two marathons before that. But that was when I started running smarter. And so the thing that changed for me and what clicked in terms of enjoying it was I was running slower, so then I was recovering better, so then I wasn't feeling miserable all the time. And now I got to a point, so I've been doing this for four four plus years, and I had a recovery run on Sunday, and I, I totally realized like this is like the reward is... You know, after a, a week of a bigger mileage than I've ever done before, or maybe some hard mileage on on a day in particular, like this is what I get out of it. I get a nice day where I can run easy, and instead of it having to be I'm running slower and my times look bad, it's this is this is just bliss. I get to I get to get in my miles, but I'm also going to feel great by the time I go to bed tonight. Yep. And I don't know why it took. It, even though I've been I, I preach it to people all the time: run slow, run slow, run slow. Yeah. It's going to change everything for you. And yet it took until now for me to now I say it's a reward. This is my reward for the end of maybe a hard week. And it, and sometimes it's hard to take yourself off the hook for that. It's yeah. like, yeah, it's easy to say like, yeah, just go run easy today. You need to recover. Look at your watch or whatever, or your knowledge. You just, yeah, and just run easy and, and say it's okay. Yeah, it absolutely is. How how have you seen the ultra scene change from your time when you first entered it versus now? I mean, you said it earlier, younger people are, are, are doing it now. I think so. In our area then, there was no goats. You know, yeah, the, the, yeah. That, that was uh, me. I, I guess I thought I owned Platte River State Park when I started seeing <laughs> other people there. I'm like, and that's how I actually met a, a another a goat and he had trained with him for quite a while. Mike Christensen, uh, he had moved here and, and I'm, he run, I run into this guy on the trail and he, he starts talking to me and he asks if he can tag along and I find out he had just moved from Iowa and and we trained together there for, for years. And then uh, the goats start, you know, when we said we were meeting other people there, they did call it even Mike and Todd's parking lot, you know, because we were the ones there. And then gradually start seeing more more people. And that's just been a great thing that the, the club is, you know, organizing events in this area and getting so many people interested in the, yeah. in the sport. It's so neat. Yeah. So neat. And, 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 you know, when you travel or do some of these races, there are more young people you know, that are just saying they just want to do crazy things in life, I guess. 
you know, people that they just jump into a hundred miler. They don't take the, the gradual approach that I did, um, which is fine. Um, I love that. I did all the experiences trying to, you know, do different things for, and uh, it is hard to go back though and do fast stuff. Cause it, once you start training for longer and you're getting older, you can either do hard speed workout or you can do long runs, but doing both is, is, is tough. You know, mm-hmm. when you're in your thirties, maybe I could do that. But, um, so, cause sometimes I think oh, I got to go back and try to, you know, do a marathon in such and such a time or whatever. And, and instead of just hopping in marathons to get ready for ultras. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. Have, have you, how do you feel like you've handled that mentally? I always, you know, will tell people, cause they'll ask like, how long do you want to keep doing this? Or what are your ultimate goals? And I always just say, I just want to figure out what my limits are. Um, I ran a 251 marathon last year in Des Moines. And so it's like, all right, I want to keep, keep pushing that time down further and further. I want to see what I get to. I know that there's a stopping point though, where the number, then it goes back up and where suddenly you're just chasing your ghost from years gone by. How, how do you think that you handled that over the years? Um, it's humbling. Yeah. The reason for me, it, my, it's kept, I've been, I don't know if you want to call it my ego has stayed high or whatever, because here's the reality of road races in our area. The times have plummeted. I mean, um, what it used to take to place in the corporate cup now, you know. Um, so my point, what I'm getting at is I might show up at a 10K around here and run a time that, you know, 25 years ago would have got 50th at the corporate cup and I might win a 10K around here, you know. So I'm still like feeling like, oh, I'm way in front of all these people. So that part, but the reality is I know like, oh gosh, I won with that time, you know, or placed third with that time. Uh-huh. Cause there just isn't, there's lots of people doing it more for fun and fitness. I think I was going to say, what do you and, attribute that and to? And not as serious. And and then there's so many other things out there that are, and they're all wonderful, you know, whether, you know, the different boot camps or, uh, you know, um, cross training and, and gravel biking and, it, it, mountain bike. It's awesome that people are doing all these different things, but there's not near the the runners there were, and the fields aren't. The quality is not as deep. Interesting. Um, so it it might look like you know you're I'm running great, but my times. If you look at what I was running, you know, years ago, they're terrible. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know that. But I love doing them for for speed work. I love I love and appreciate like um you know Craig Christian's putting on the no frills five milers and going and doing those for speed work and Mick Freeman putting the ten k's on in the winter over at Lake Manawa and uh, Jim Craig, the angry cow races. And, you know, I love all these things that local people are doing. So you can just use them as hard workouts and get a little camaraderie. For sure. Yeah. You see some people, you know, and that's always awesome. Is this a post COVID thing? Do you think, or was this going on before COVID in terms of like being able to show up at a race and, and what, you know, is successful now? What wouldn't Hmm. have been as successful? I don't think COVID, I think things were gradually decreasing. I think the old timers that are even older than me that were runners around here would agree. Just, I've, I've just seen stuff and, and I'm aware that, just the overall quality just just wasn't was was so much better Interesting. in the eighties and 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 nineties and and it's it's not there the depth yeah um, there's some great runners don't get me wrong you know there's, it's wonderful to see but the depth definitely isn't as quality as it used to be uh, you mentioned earlier Jody she's been a guest on the pod Mindy Coolman has also been a guest on the pod and so I what I find fun about talking to to runners like them and and then you is that. You know, you hear uh, someone from Nebraska is going out and running in these like super famous races with all this elevation change. And I know the question that they always get is like, okay, so where in the world do you train in Nebraska? Have you seen a change in maybe that question being asked in recent years given? And then obviously Casey and the success that she has had that, I mean, 
our, our, our folks are going out there and they're competing at very high levels and sometimes winning some of these, you know, monumental you races. Yeah. It's fun. Um, you know, we, I live in a hilly town, so I've always been doing hills. Plattsmouth uh-huh. is super hilly. And then you go to places, even Platte River, you can go, you know, if you go run there three or four hours, you can get quite a bit of vert and, and then Hitchcock even more. So Hitch, Hitch is super hilly, but I've been blessed. Let's see, I've had kids living in Colorado, what the last six, seven years. And I get out there four or five times a year. And, you know, each of those times I'm training or racing. And so I've gotten used to altitude. I've really handled it because of that. Um, so that has not had a huge effect on me. Just a couple, I can, you know, think of a couple hikes and stuff that were, oh, I feel little. And then I attribute it, have I been drinking enough? Mm-hmm. So I've been very fortunate. It's kind of fun racing in Colorado. And, and um, you know, you're running by somebody and they find out you're from Nebraska. And they they kind of smile like they're just going to beat yep, you. Yep. And then you beat them. And it's kind of like, you know, you just, because I've, I've done okay in Colorado. But I, because I really attribute, I know the altitude is huge. But you think of someone like Jody and Casey um, and myself, I think our fitness level, it's still just how fit of an individual are you? Uh-huh. And you can get super fit at sea level. You know, there's people that, you know, do those races that live in Florida that then, you know, they, they train on an overpass because there's no, no hills, you know, that kind of thing. So I think that's number one is just getting your fitness level as high as possible where we're at. And then I just been fortunate enough to be able to go to Colorado and when I'm in Springs, you know, I'll, I'll hike up Pikes Peak and run down or I'll do the incline three, four, five times, you know, mm-hmm. um, and other parks and trail races there. So I've been lucky to be able to go do, you know, training in Colorado quite a bit. Yeah, I got married in, in August and uh, I did we got married on a Wednesday. I did my long run on that that Saturday or Sunday and it was like 18 miles. And I remember feeling like I was surprised at how good I felt, but I, I I guess I chalked it up to, well, I've been training in all this humidity in Omaha. And so what I lose in humidity, I gain in the altitude. And I feel like it just kind of evened itself out for me. That's an interesting. One of the original found, uh, gentlemen that did Badwater, um, he, what is his name? It's not coming to me now, but he was a coach at Dana College before it closed in Blair. And a couple of his runners from around here contacted me that had run for him. And he, they said he had a booklet out. Long story short, I got this little booklet written in the 70s or whatever. And he talked about, because he lived in Florida when he did Badwater. Mm-hmm. And training the humidity has an effect. There's an effect of similarity with the lack of oxygen, similar to what you do at altitude. Interesting. So I'm thinking, yeah, I'm training, you know, for Badwater, I'm training in humid conditions. And I, I do training in Colorado some too for the building up for that. And then- you know, wearing an extra shirt or two and you really can, you can really make some harsh conditions. Yeah. You know, humidity in Nebraska sucks. And that, it, it, it's it horrible. And if you go out in the middle of the afternoon training for bad water, which I've done, uh-huh. people think you're strange when you have a stocking cap on and a hoodie, you know, and it's 95 and humid, but. Um, Just getting ready for race day. Yeah. That's what you do. Uh, you mentioned earlier coaching. How long did you coach for? You know, I, I taught in California and then here, uh, so a total of 35 years, but 30 at Plats, 31 at Plattsmouth. Wow. So was that something that as you got into running, um, whether it was post-college or, or in college, was that something you knew you wanted to do? Oh, yeah. That's yeah. why I went into teaching because I wanted to be a coach. Really? Oh, yeah. My Fred Lamley, my high school coach, is big. That's that's the reason. So what drew you, so beyond him, what drew you into it? Like, what was it about coaching that you found so much joy in? You know, I, I the running he did and, and basketball, but I also liked I, I just always was like football too. Um, 
if I could get all my notebooks back, I was always drawing X's and O's on my notebooks and books, you know, plays, designing plays. I, you know, no one would believe me, but I know I designed the West Coast offense before <laughs> Joe Walsh did at San Francisco. I had stuff like that all over paper. So I was just always intrigued with, you know, I always loved sports. I was always a dedicated athlete and all that, but I, I love the strategies too, the plays, the game ideas and, and all of that. And, and then, you know, when you, when you have a good coach, you're just kind of, you realize, wow, this is cool developing. Look how slow I was and look how fast he made me, that kind of thing. What, where did you, I guess, where have things changed in learning how to coach in terms of like approach? You said something a few minutes ago about, you know, lowering your heart rate, you know, and, and maybe I'm just remembering wrong, but when I ran cross country in high school, I don't really remember that being a discussion. Now we didn't also have smartwatches. It was a different right. time. So I, I just wonder how things evolved over time because I always look back and I'm like, man, I bet I would have liked running a whole lot more if I would have been doing what I do now. Now, I'm, I was also a punk teenager, so maybe not. But I just wonder how how that has changed over the years and what that means for today's athletes versus then. Well, if you just look at older training books, it was still kind of that hard, easy concept, yeah. which is what we do now. I just think there may not have been as much easy between the hard days. I think it was, you know, like I always learned, you know, speed day, easy day, speed, easy Whereas now I think you can get more out of your speed with that extra recovery day. For sure. And, you know, more bang for your buck and less chance of injury. Yeah. I know for a fact, and, and, you know, you always think you're doing things right, but I know I had more athletes get injured earlier in my coaching career than later. Later, once we started doing heart rate and they could tell when their heart rate was elevated, which could be telling you you're leading to an injury or you're sick and you can have them back off. Uh, just, I just don't remember very many injuries those last handful of years because we were doing heart rate and kids were communicating well with me. And, uh, and it was sometimes hard to say, okay, back off. You really wanted them to do that workout, but you know, you also wanted them there at district and state time. So you had to be smart. Yeah. Whereas, you know, in the past, you know, you, you just didn't know. You thought, oh, is, is he dogging it? Or is he really, you know, should I get on the kid's case? Be sarcastic, that work, you know, what will work with this kid to motivate him, you know, peer pressure from the other kids doing it. So, yeah, I think the the tools, you know, the technology has, you know, some people, there's certain things about technology that you, one doesn't like, but certain things like that where you can train smarter have, has really been nice. Yeah. How do you feel about it? You're, you're Strava, uh, it's very bare bones compared to, you know, certainly a lot of people that I, that I follow. Like I, I see your stuff. It's always fun to see what you're doing, but there's never really a comment about no. it. Um, you know, so I, I, I guess, thought about that. Cause I'm like, yeah, some people probably don't realize like last month I'm pulling a sled today. So I'm, <laughs> that, that's why I'm having these 18 minute miles. I'm, I'm at, you know, um, pulling a sled through snow. And I didn't care. I, I actually never got on Strava or anything. And somebody asked if I would, so they could see what I'm doing. Yeah. And so that's why I'm pretty good about saving my workouts once in a while I forget. Um, and I don't, I don't care. And I don't mean to sound so arrogant. I don't care what anybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. I don't look at anybody else's workout. So you just upload soul. yours and then you're done. Yep. I, I don't, I don't look at another soul's workout. Because it doesn't matter if if Casey ran twenty miles today or what somebody what is my body going to do today? What should my body do today? So I totally design my own workouts, and sometimes it's day to day. Sometimes I, I'll put a general plan for a week, and but if something like oh that's I'm not ready for that or the weather or you know I'll I'll I can tweak it you know yeah um, I I know people that get competitive because of Strava yes. and they do stupid training yes add these miles and 
you got to, you got to, if you don't know what you're doing, you got to find somebody who can help you. Mm -hmm. And and if you think you'd, you know, and it's not like I don't ask other people what they're doing or how that, you know, or I'm not flexible when I run with somebody else. Hey, let's do, you know, X amount of time or miles. But you also got to know what you should do. The the pace, the effort, the distance, you don't, I I would think it could be entertaining to get on Strava and look at other people. I'm sure looking at, you know, Walmsby and some of those superstars, it'd be cool, but I just, I'm not that interesting what other people are doing it. I love what I'm doing and and I got other stuff I'm interested in too. So I don't get consumed with that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that like my, my personality for whatever reason, I've never fallen down that like negative Strava trap. It, it seems, it reminds me in a lot of ways how people will talk about the negatives of Instagram and how they can get on Instagram and especially like teenagers and how they will see things and they will view themselves through this lens of what they feel like they have to do. I, I know how fast I can run. So I don't feel like I have to apologize for like my recovery miles. I'm not, you know, here's right. a, here's oh, a paragraph. Exactly. So I had to run slower and it's like, no, this is a recovery run and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. But I know that not everybody treats it that way. And right. it always bums me out because, you know, I think it's a, it's a great tool for me. It's, it's, you know, it's part social media, part diaries. Do you do like a pen and paper? Yeah. yeah? I've had a running like a training log. log. I've got the log since the 81. Oh, that is so cool. All, some of them are just calendars, notebooks. Some of them are yeah. the... Jim Fix, and then whoever does it now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you feel like if you open up one, you know, 1995 and you find a run, can, is there, like, can you pull out that run? Like, hey, I remember that run. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I think so. Very cool. A lot of the, the races and the, yeah. Um, yeah. You just remember who you went with or, and I, and I, and I wrote it a little notes. I, I never wrote like a lot of details, but usually each mile and, uh-huh. and, temperature maybe or wind and who you were got third behind so-and-so. Yeah. Do you keep track of like the mileage on the shoes? I don't do that. I can just tell. Yeah. And I look at them and yeah, that's the only bad thing about being an ultra runner. You go through those shoes. (laughs) I think about that. Like when my, my wife jokes, like I know at a certain point, this is what you were going to want to do. And then she's always thinking about, I can see the gears turning, the shoe cost. And I think about it too, because I'm now running 80 mile weeks and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's, I'm, I'm already having to buy another pair. Yes. But then if you weren't spending money on that, what do other people that aren't doing what we do spend that money on? Exactly. And it, it's not always a healthy item. Correct. And, you know, could we be healthy without that? Yeah, but yeah. It's a lot I, more fun. I, yep. I, <laughs> I would rather have that than furniture or, you know, more for more, whatever upgrades, yep. just keep me in my shoes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what do you miss most about coaching? Relationships. Yeah. You know, those first couple cross country meets you go to after you've been, when I went back and you don't want to, I have great, my assistant, Chris Wiseman took over and he's doing an incredible job and you don't, you don't want to step in, but kids are coming to talk to you a little bit and all that. And that's, what's different about just coaching somebody like the couple that I have in Lincoln, you know, you're just talking to them on the phone maybe once a week, but you're not interacting, you know, before, after practice on the bus, you know, putting an arm around a kid, finding out something else is going on in their life. There's just so many variables. Sure. And that, that's neat. And that, you know, that's a big part of being a coach. It's not just the workouts and all that. It's, you know, what else can I do is, you know, you know, help them motivate him to do his math assignment or whatever the other people, you know, there's just so many other things going on. And so, and that the whole group atmosphere of the the program, the spirit, um, the community that we had with parents, and you know, it was it's pretty awesome. Yeah, for and sure. still running into you know you'll run into those parents, and actually at Yoga Today, former parent came up and gave me a hug. She said, "How have you been?" So it was kind of neat. That's awesome. 
Uh, you mentioned earlier uh, some of the stuff that you have coming up. So you have three ma- three races on the calendar for this year, at least according to Ultra Sign Up. So you have Psycho Wico, which is later this month. Yep. Uh, you have a 94-miler next month. That's actually broken into three days. Okay. Three days of Silmo. You do a 50K on Friday, 50-mile on Saturday, 20K on Sunday. Whew. And they're separate races. You could enter them individually or you can do the, the package. And I got down there two or three years ago. This will be my third or fourth year in a row going down there. Yeah. It's just, it's so neat. You can, there's a, a camping area where it all starts and, and uh, you finish and people are, you know, everybody's sitting around fire. They feed you at night. People camp or go up to the cabins. There's a river running through. You can go, go do a cold soak. Um, just kind of a neat weekend. That's awesome. Just great training. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've got that. And then you have Western States. I have Western States and then I have Badwater. And so you, so you have four then, so you and have Badwater. Then, yeah. And then I'll do, I'll do several of the, you know, go, uh, some goats races, some down in Kansas, Yeah, uh, where, Colorado. I haven't figured out which weekends I'm going to go visit my kids, but I'll hop in some stuff there. Actually in March, I think there's a, the run through time marathon in Salida. It's a hilly up in the mountains. Um, I think it's part of the high lonesome hundred mile course actually. Um, so yeah, I'll do, you know, last year I looked, I think I did 13 or 14 ultras, but you know, a lot of them are 50 K 50 mile to get ready for the hundred. I would, I'd rather go hop in a 50 K than go for a four or five hour training run. For sure. Yeah. You know, I'll do some of those on my own, but cause it is good mentally tough to go out and train on your own, but so much more fun to go hop in a race. And- well, this is perfect. It feels like that you just gave me the wind up to then. So do you ever see yourself slowing down? I mean, to do that many ultras last year, I mean, you just ran through a few off the top of your head that you're doing this year on top of some other stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to do some other athletic things like bike touring and some of that. I'm trying to figure out like in October, because I'm considering doing, last year I did a couple of the big 200s out in um, in um, Utah and in Washington. I did Bigfoot 200 and I did Moab 240. And there's quite a commitment there, cost and everything else. And I love, and I'll go back. I'd love to go back and do those. But I kind of want to do, in September, I was thinking of doing the uh, Cowboy 200. It's on the, from Norfolk to Valentine. It's all runnable. Yeah. And so I kind of want to see what I could do there. Um, But as far as answering your question, (laughs) not immediately. I keep thinking I'm going to do less races and maybe start, you know, or bike to, you know, my sister's in Tennessee and bike there and do a race or something. (laughs) I, I, you know, mixing it up a little. And some of these same races, you do them because you like going back, but there's also so many other races that it'd be fun to go do some other ones. And, I, and I'll do that because, you know, Western's a lottery, you know, your chances of getting drawn again. Yeah. So there'll be some other opportunities to do other things. So um, I, I, I'd like to keep it going. Yeah. Along those uh, lines, I stumbling, you know, throughout the internet and your footprint, uh, a line came up multiple times and that was just keep going from you. How did that come about? Um, that is an inside joke from when for a couple of years, I put on a 10 K 20 K 30 K out and out of, um, outside of Plattsmouth is the Schilling wildlife refuge, just a flat loop that goes down. It was a loop. Now they cut a channel through it, but it was about a 10 K loop and you go down to the Platte river. You're along the Missouri. It's right outside of town where the Platte meets the Missouri but anyway, um, at the time I was doing some shoe stuff, an original trail shoe was called Montrail. And um, I was doing testing for them and got them to sponsor my race. And they were giving shoes to the winner of the 30K. And Craig Christians, who I mentioned a little bit ago, was standout 10K guy and all that. 
didn't really love much longer than a 10K. He liked his 5Ks and 10Ks. Well, the shoes were for the winner of the 30K. So he came by the first loop. He goes, I'm a 10K guy or something like to that effect. And said, what do I do? And I just said, just keep going. <laughs> and then the next loop, just keep going. And, and then uh, some other people caught wind of that. And ever since then, him and some other runners in the Roman Running Club, Ron Lampy and these guys, whenever they see me, just keep going. So it's just started as an inside joke and it's been going on for a while. It's a good mindset to have. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what else do you do yep. when you're out there you're four, 40 miles from the next checkpoint, right? All by yourself. And having to get on a sled and go down yeah, the hill. Exactly. <laughs> What's your favorite part about running? Um, the way, you know, you just feel good. You just feel good. You can go out and have a bad run. When you're done, you feel good. There's some that feeling. The runner's high is real oh, yeah. while you're running. But afterwards, you know, it makes everything better. I think you feel more control of your life, more confident. You believe in yourself more. I'm talking about other things besides running then. Yeah, I can go do that. I can do this. You know, um, there's just the benefits of running. There's just too many, too many. But the feeling is, is almost undescribable to other people. I love that answer. They don't get it. No. Non-runners don't get it. No, they don't. But that's okay. That's okay. So I finish every podcast by asking my guest about what they're chasing. It could be a literal time goal. It could be qualifying for something, or it could just be a feeling. Todd Not, what are you chasing? Well, you were mentioning my A races, and I don't like telling people my goals, but I will turn 60 in April before Western States and before Badwater. So I've looked at the 60-year-old records, and so those will definitely be, if I can stay healthy... Um, that would definitely be something I would go after in those two races. Now that is a great answer. Todd Knott, thank you for joining me today on Chasing Three Hours. It's been awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Todd Knott for joining me on today's episode. Thanks to Ian Alio for production assistance, as well as music and sound design. Thanks to Riss for the cover art. Head to Chasing3Hours.com for more from me as I write about my experience training for the 2024 Eugene Marathon. Know anyone that would be a great fit for the pod or just want to drop me a note? Email me at chasing3hours at gmail.com. If you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and maybe share with a friend as well. New episodes will drop on Friday mornings. Enjoy your long run this weekend. Chasing 3 Hours.